0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one.
1: Stephen Wilson's new live film, Home Invasion in Concert at the Royal Albert Hall, is available now on DVD two CD or Blu-ray two CD and digitally. The film captures the final night of a three-night run at one of the world's most iconic venues during a tour in support of his fifth album, To The Bone. The show was filmed from every conceivable angle at Royal Albert Hall and featured sounds specifically mixed by Stephen Wilson in both stereo and 5.1 surround sound. Go to wwweagle rock com slash Stephen Dash Wilson and pick up your copy today of Stephen Wilson's new live film Home Invasion in concert at the Royal Albert Hall. He's
2: haunted your nightmares for years, but now he wants you to have sweet dreams.
0: Marilyn Manson.
2: Multi-platinum recording artist Marilyn Manson is giving you the opportunity to allow the pale emperor himself inside you with the Marilyn Manson dildo.
0: This is the new shit.
2: The Marilyn Manson dildo comes in the discreet velvet double cross carrying case with a rubber phallus that is hand-painted just like the Antichrist superstar himself. The inside of your chosen orifice may rub off some of the environmentally safe paint after extended use.
0: Nothing's hotter than a black and white cervix.
2: Comes in two sizes, the deep six and the tourniquet. So choose wisely. There's tainted love,
0: and then there's
2: loving your taint. Let's hear what the man himself has to say about this wonderful invention. Mr. Manson, why should we buy this deviant masterpiece? People are attracted to danger, I am. Where is the best place to put the Marilyn Manson dildo? Butthole, face hole of buttholes. What would happen if your girlfriend, wife, or other doesn't like this perfect present? <laughs> i sure in the Face with the fucking brass knuckles or something. Not that I hit women except when they ask for it. (laughs) The Marilyn Manson Dildo, available on MarilynManson.com for the low price of $125. Get yours today. Because I'm going to eat your face off you, cocksucking everyone, etc. dot, dot, dot.
3: The Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts Petter Spych, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp.
1: Metal Sucks Podcast. Hey, what is going on, everybody out there? Is i your host, Petter
2: Spych? I am always joined by, I have a name, and it's Brandon <laughs> Gooch Hahn. And you can follow me on Twitter. You got that, you gacked out son of a bitch, at your buddy Gooch, and on Instagram with the same handle.
0: We all have names, you fucking weirdo. We're not Voldemort. I'm a marketing genius. And? <laughs> Joslyn Sharp. At Joslyn Sharp on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> okay.
1: You can follow me at Rise to Offend, Facebook and Twitter. Rise to Offend Official. On Instagram this week, guys, Eric Rotan from Hate Eternal. We are talking about the new epic record by Hate Eternal, Upon Desolate Sands, which is out right now, and the tour with Cannibal Corpse and Harm's which starts November second. Make sure you guys check dates. But before that, guys, we want to jump in and talk a little bit about the Metal Sucks news. We're going to focus on just one news story that we really want to talk about. There was four different posts about this. Agoraphobic Nosebleed. And Cat Cats did end their relationship, kind of broke our hearts a little bit. However, we wanted to discuss everything that went through the media on this specific topic. The first thing that happened, we'll start at the first jump. On Cat's Facebook, this is what she posted. Tired of being bullied by dudes. Salome and Agorafork Nosebleed. I quit Fork Nosebleed tonight. Hopefully, I find a band that respects me and treats me as an equal. So that was put out in public to the Facebook. So she announced leaving the band. Right
2: away, bad move. I quit Gore Flub nosebleed tonight. That means she quit a couple like maybe within a half hour. And she's like, you know what? Done. Made your decision. I'm out. It was it no, was a rush decision. No press
1: release. Yeah, just said it herself, which is fair. You're allowed to tell your people, hey, I'm out of this band. However, a rush decision, maybe so. What do you think, Jess?
0: I don't think it's a rush decision. I think that you don't have even if it is like a rush, like spur of the moment, like rage decision, you don't do that unless there's like some build up. You know what I mean? Like you don't just flip out because everyone's been nice to you the whole time, you know? So there has to be some buildup. I don't think this is, she was probably thinking about this before and there was like, this was like the last straw. I'm
2: just saying, not a good idea though. Like we've all broken up with people. You don't just have like a big old fight and then you jump on Facebook single and then the next day you're like, oh, back together. Sorry about that. Oh no,
0: I just don't ever get back together with them. Yeah,
2: so, but that's, it it happened fast. So,
1: Agora Forg knows, we came back with a quick post just saying we had some disagreements with Kat about how we should interact in the band and as a result, she quit. We wish her well with music in the future. Scott has some writing record, and recording to wrap up with Pig Destroyer, and after that, we'll start writing music for the next Agora Fork Nosebleed record. Just a quick thing to just say, oh yes, she did leave the band, so they don't have to answer questions. The next day, they actually do a long post. And I'm gonna break it down real fast for you guys because it's rather long. But this is from Agora Fork Nosebleed. They pretty much said they did the uh, the Death Fest, the, the Quebec Death Fest. Saturday, October 20th. So this is when it happened is October 20th. So around 3.30 a.m. on October 21st, they all loaded into an Uber and they went back to the hotel. At this time, they were trying to reach Kat because obviously they're in a, a different part of the world. And after 45 minutes, there was no response from Kat. So they were freaking out. They go back to the venue. They're looking all over the place for her. No response. They finally find her. And I guess one of the members of the band did yell at her to be like, you need to tell us where you're at. We're worried sick, yada, yada, yada. We don't know where you're at. All these kind of things. So they defending their actions and them getting angry because of actually concern. Concern for her whereabouts and where they're at and the thing. So that's their side of that story. We've uh, all
0: been, we've all had to chase after that one friend that always gets way too drunk. You know, that one friend, like that always ruins the night. That but you, that's speculation.
1: We don't know if she was drunk. But we here's, don't my say point, that. here's
0: my point. She might not be drunk, but at the same point, we've all been to that place where you have somebody who is not communicating with you, you are semi responsible for them because they're your friend and they just disappear on you. Mm-hmm. Like we've all had this situation, whether it was let take the drunk out of it, whether it was with that drunk friend or any other friend, there's, we always have been in the situation where there's a dramatic moment, somebody leaves and then you're like, what the fuck? I can't just leave. I can't go home. You're like out there in the world. I have to come find you.
2: Well, especially if it's like, hey, look, we're going to meet at this time. And then a couple of hours goes by. Yeah, you are a little bit worried. And here's the deal. And I'm just going to come right out and say it. This is not this. She's a very small chick. Right. And it's and these. this is a metal festival. You, you don't know. You're in a city you don't even know. So, yeah, I mean, it's like they're probably thinking like. The worst is probably happening at this point.
0: And if this, maybe this was a common occurrence, that could be the the reason that it was such a frustrating thing for them. You know, like if this is something that she did a lot, if I don't know whether she isolated because the bullying was that bad or she just isolated in this one instance, but that you you just don't, can't do that to people in the middle of the night.
1: I don't think it's bullying at all. And that's fine. That's, that's a fair assessment. And then her response to that was, yes, I was trying to help someone having a mental health emergency at that time. I was out of touch for about 45 minutes. The hotel was five minutes away. It was a Saturday night and busy. I was screamed at when I returned outside the hotel, in the hotel room, and in the airport. I was in tears for most of the trip. Dude was screaming at me while I was bawling my eyes out. I was belittled. I was treated like a child. I'm a 34-year-old woman. I'm not going to be treated like that. This isn't the first time I've been screamed at by dude. I try to calm things down with an email and advocate for myself at the same time, and they wouldn't hear me. So that's her response to the after effects. Your guys' take on that.
2: I I just think that... Well, again... it all depends on who's who's looking. Again, it's, it's always one of those things like she's got her side. They got her their side. And then there's the truth, you know, so it's like we don't know exactly what she was saying in, you know, in like when she was retorting back to what they right. were saying to her. And again, when you're talking with somebody like this, they just throw things that make no sense at you to back up their theory. Well, and then that just makes you more
0: insane. And you start yelling at them. my issue is there's no excuse for just disappearing on people. That's like a really asshole move because then you've just, what you've done is you've done this narcissistic thing where you've made everybody's night about you. You've made everybody's entire night. They have to spend the night searching for you. And then you're saying you had to take care of something. Well, that's fine. You, What were your fingers? You can send a text. To yeah, your you couldn't say, "Hey,
2: look, I got a really dire situation yeah. here with a friend. I, I'm not. I'm not going to be able to make it, or I'll just see you tomorrow, right. or whatever." But instead, she was just like, "No, fuck off." I mean, come
1: on, man. Whoa, well, whoa, whoa. She was focusing on someone who's having a mental health emergency. That's her reason. Okay, so it's but, not
2: fuck off. So no, my right? deal is though is look, she's dealing with a friend, and then zzz, 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 that's going on the entire time. You're trying to you're trying to give your friend all of your attention and then meanwhile your phone is just going off you know she's like fucking shut up and it's like all she had to do was like guys i'm, I'm in the middle of something I'm, I'm gonna be a little bit late that's all she had to write and back. see
1: that's that's one thing that we always do is that there is the presumption and it's a fair presumption that she's getting these text messages and what's currently happening in front of her isn't distracting her from her phone vibrating or ringing maybe she's not hearing them Maybe while she's dealing with this, she's legitimately missing these text messages because something is happening in front That's of her. That's legit. Ooh. Which 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 could be the case. I'm not saying I've it been is. There. I've been in that situation. We've, we've all been there. So to just end up the, the statement, she released a final statement on this. I'll read it in its entirety, and then we'll do our final results on how we kind of feel the whole thing went. This is Kat's final statement on all of it. My decision to leave a nosebleed after our appearance at Quebec Death Face in Montreal symbolized the end of a series of uncomfortable events I have experienced over the last several weeks with the band. These experiences included situations in which I felt my presence as an equal member was no longer respected and my gender served as a reason to belittle my presence and my opinion on the personal dynamics and inner workings of the band as someone who has performed within the extreme music scene for many years and remained to my own detriment. Quiet about experiences prior to my work with Agora Fork Nosebleed of harassments and sexualized bullying, I decided that for my own well-being the cycle of misogyny, overt and unwanted sexual behavior directed towards me had to stop. While I considered quitting, immediately after our show in Montreal, I first consulted with several of my close friends to see if I could cope with what happened, because I loved playing in this band, and despite our differences, respected my musical colleagues. However, after considering the disrespect demonstrated towards me as a musician, a woman, and as a prominent member of a for Nosebleed, I decided to leave. The response by my former bandmates to my decision has been extremely disappointing, but not entirely surprising. Unfortunately, it is common for people to assume that women's accounts of harassment come from a a place of hysteria and hypersensitivity versus the responses by the male colleagues that, for the most part, are perceived as the truth. Especially within a male dominated musical genre and culture. I am saddened that my decision to leave has caused additional strife, but despite that, I wish my former musical colleagues the best in their future endeavors. So
2: go ahead and give your whole take on what you think, Brandon. Well, it sounds like she needs to be in a band with all women because I would love to know, I want to know what it be, would be like if she was in a band with all women. Would she find another way to? twist this level of disrespect. Maybe it's just two people not getting along, but if she's going to go ahead and throw the sex in there, that's where it convolutes things.
0: See, this is my point though. This is my point on this whole thing, because if we just take this, this story by itself, then she's one, then she just sounds like a feminist. who's one of those feminists who takes men trying to help them as a front against their, their feminine strength. You know, Yeah. I don't need your help. I can do it on my own because I'm an independent woman. But if we listen to her statement, it, Sounds to me like what I said before, which is that there's some consistent things that were happening to her that were making her feel not comfortable completely, whether it be, I mean, she called it sexualized bullying, whether it be sexualized bullying or or harassment or being treated, you know, condescendingly, these things were all happening over and over again. I think that this was probably an inevitable end for her because it sounds like this is not an isolated incident and not even isolated within this band experience.
1: Fair. And then this is my take and stay with me. I I don't want to be too long. I don't want to go too far on this, but this is the way I see it is that certain individuals, whether men or women, they grow up, they have a defense mechanism. We all have defense mechanisms and certain people will have anger as a defense mechanism and they will scream and they will. Do exactly what she was saying, belittle people, and then go home, take that in, and they'll feel guilt and shame and all that stuff because they lost their contemporary, they lost their control. Other people will cry in situations where they're getting yelled at or they can't hold their emotion. Same thing. They'll go home, they'll feel guilt, they'll feel shame because someone made them cry. They showed weakness in front of someone that was bullying them, you know? And that's just two ways that we're taught. As human beings to react, to be defensive, to be like, no, I'm right. No, I'm right. That is what an argument is. So for me, in a lot of relationships that I've had in in my life, I've learned that to me as a a male and what what matters to me are actions. Actions mean a lot to me. Words don't mean a ton. However, my female partners that I've been with in relationships or worked with, words mean everything. You cannot say things, expect not to be a consequence, even though it's completely different when you're dealing with a man, right? So with with that two things, what you have is two people who have good viewpoints on a story. However, what did Cat do to the dude in the band? Action. What did Dude do to Cat in the band? Words. Those are the two things that they both left this scenario feeling shame, feeling guilt, feeling bad about what happened. And what the only way to make that come back together and end this someone owns what they did wrong and apologizes. And the fact of the matter is there's two people here that are trying to present their statements from their viewpoints without admitting what they did wrong.
2: And they're if, doing it on the and They're doing it with the court of uh, the, 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 uh, the court of internet, you know? So, and I'm not taking a side. So if cat was simply to say like, you know what? I shouldn't
1: have ignored their text messages. They're right. I apologize for that. However, The end result, that's not okay. And then dude was like, you know what? She's right. I lost my fucking shit on her, and it was really cruel. And when she was crying, I yelled at her. I feel overwhelming amount of guilt that I treated a friend of mine like that, and I didn't allow her you know, the dignity to just stand up because I had to beat her down to win my point. If he admitted to that, and he's like, and I'm sorry, and I hope to God I never do that to again, this band might still be back together, and they might be able to work together in the future. But instead... They went to the internet, or whoever started, I guess Kat went to the internet, and now this grudge might hold on. And as you guys know, when people find people that they can create art with that is f- just excellent, like these, they do. Agora Nosebleed Knows is great. That last EP they put out, Ark, with her singing, was, was phenomenal. When you find people that you can create that and touch a lot of people in the world, it's hard to find again. So something like this to become a grudge, because nobody could own their mistakes or where they came from and say they're sorry, it's sad to me. And that's all it is. But that's my take on it. I don't see anybody wrong. This is an argument that we have daily as human beings with other human beings in the same faction. And until one of us own it and apologize and say what we did wrong for our own actions, you don't move forward. You just hold grudges.
0: You're right, though, because I never thought of that from the perspective of just sometimes just people don't communicate well. Yeah. Sometimes just two people do not communicate to each other. In the way that because I've been in situations like you talked about, where mm. I am very like verbal, I need a lot of verbal things. I need a lot of talk, and and most of the men I've been with do not. They are like, no, I showed you, I loved you because I did this, and I'm like, you have to say it, you know. Right. There's like this big difference, so I c- I can see where where Pete's saying that nobody's wrong, but nobody's right, and nobody's really gonna get anywhere until exactly. until and, somebody decides and- to say.
1: I'm so sorry. Yeah. No, you're fine. I but mean, yeah. If, if someone's like, Hey, Hey, you called me a bitch. And then she dents the guy's car. The guy's upset. The car's dented. She's upset. He called her a bitch, but in actuality, you're both wrong, right? You shouldn't ever called her that. And she should have never taken it there. But the point is then you both apologize and now you can move forward and now you can work together. Unfortunately like it just didn't work out that way.
0: Your analysis basically like this is this an in isolated incident. So do you think that there was nothing leading up or do you think that there was
1: uh, this is, to me this, like I said, I, I don't mean, know. I mean to these me people. it just feels this like it's like too much. I I feel everything in life is a case by case situation. I don't feel that this is probably an isolated incident, as she said, but they've never learned to communicate or take right. ownership for their actions or to apologize for each other when they wronged each other i guarantee you whoever dude is in that band loves cat i guarantee you cat loves that dude and they have a bond and this is just it broke them and you're right when you brought up that you know she's this tiny girl cat is like the girl every metalhead looks at her and like wow i want that to be my girlfriend she is amazing she's beautiful she's impressive she's into in our scene look at that girl and to not know where she's at for 45 minutes in a festival? Dude, if that you, was you, my you, friend? Yeah, yeah, you might I, be
2: thinking the worst possible thing is yeah, happening. So, but then his reaction was incorrect. But her reaction yeah. was like, you know what, so you're going to look at me like I'm this weak thing? It's like, yeah, well, there's a lot of big dudes out there that could, that will throw you around like no
0: problem. Well, it's not even the female dudes thing. It's the fact that you were a public figure. That, yes. And you were a female. And we all know that it's not. A, there, of course, there's crazy female fans that do crazy stuff. But there's crazy male no, fans. There's, 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 that do I, crazy male stuff
2: Yeah exactly I mean think about every single female Celebrity out there they've all had to deal with some kind Of weird freak stalker. Ju- stalker jump And all of a sudden they're in their house I mean They've all had some kind of weird shit happen And the crazy thing mm-hmm. is is a lot of the times When they're stalkers and I'm sure this chick's Had her, her fair share because even When they are on a level like Goraphobic nosebleed is on they're even, they're even more attainable. This isn't like Ariana Grande, you know what I mean? Where she's got like a, 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 sea of security guards that are keeping her safe. I mean, this chick is, she's got her bandmates to keep her safe. She's That's accessible. It. Yes. And that, but that train of thought might bother her.
1: However, people see that as a concern and something to, well, that like, matters. It goes like again, this. Again, we are just speculating on all that stuff. She might've been in a safe place. She one hundred percent might have been. She might have been. She might have been, been, like, have been in a safe place, yeah. but they didn't know that, and that's fair. That is fair. And with that, I because I see this as a disagreement,
2: and I hope they don't hold grudges. Do you think that they they can get back together? They brought and- it to the internet. It's it's already too. It's it's already yeah. it's already gone too far. You brought it to the internet. She should have. I
0: disagree, man. I mean, I disagree. I'm all on those gossip sites, man. These celebrity, like even on lower levels like this, higher levels these celebrity feuds in between bandmates and people that work together, they start and they crash. And like, if they work together this long, there's some bond there. I agree with Pete. I don't think that you, I don't think that you work together with somebody for that long and feel nothing for them.
1: I will be a free therapist to get you guys back together. (laughs) That's
2: all I'm going to say. Anyways. Don't
0: expect him to pronou- pronounce words right. Anymore. I
2: don't pronounce words right. If that's, and, yeah.
0: if that's pivotal to God, your healing. Ho- yeah,
2: I hope <laughs> you don't have a nuclear temper. My accent
1: <laughs> is just deep voice. That's all I have. But there's still, there's still words that I can't do. Don't put THs next to each other or nuclear. Anyways, would I set it wrong again? Yep. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> this month, guys, Behemoth will release their new album, I Loved You at Your Darkest, via Metal Blade Records. A crushing salvo of black metal, majesty replete with hellish riffs, thundering drum cannonades, and soaring liturgical choirs, reminiscence of classic horror cinema. I Loved You at Your Darkest is the group's most dynamic record yet. Purchase your copy now at metalblade.com slash behemoth, and be sure to also catch Behemoth on the road this fall with At the Gates, and wolves in the throne room with that guys let's jump into my interview with eric rutan of hate eternal everybody what is going on it's petter with the metal sucks podcast on the phone i got eric rutan from hate eternal i am here to talk about the new album upon desolate sands which is out right now, and the upcoming tour, which is starting November 2nd with Cannibal Corpse and Harm's Way. Eric, man, Upon Desolate Sands, like I said, it's out right now, and the follow-up to Infernus. Uh, You have produced all of your own records. Now, have you ever considered an outside producer for Hate Eternal?
4: You know, I never have, because I just... One of my biggest, probably, goals and dreams in my whole life since I was since the first uh, record I ever did, which was ripping Corp's Dream with the Dead when I was 19 is that whole experience just really made me want to own a studio someday uh, for, you know, for a few reasons, one to just be able to record my own band um, and do my own records. And also to be a guy that would, uh, people would know that I would understand the kind of music that we do. And uh, for me to be able to do a, a hate eternal record every couple of years, it's just one of the things that really um, I get excited about. And, and, and one of the things every time I get to do a record, it's it's one of the hardest things I could ever do in here is um, doing the Hate eternal records. Cause I have um, so much responsibility, obviously, you know, singing and playing guitar and then producing and mixing and things. Um, so I would say that it's one of the, the finer moments of, of my career when I get to do these records. Uh, but at the same time, it's, pretty stressful it's um challenging in many ways um so i've never even honestly ever considered having someone else produce it also because i feel like who's gonna have better insight into how i think the hate eternal record should sound than myself so um i kind of always know what i'm looking for for each record and i'm always trying kind of unique things to bring out different different tones and different vibes from each record there, there had been a moment or two where I thought, ah, maybe I should have someone else mix to kind of put in someone else's hands. But at the same time, I like to do things a certain way. And it, I feel like it's a very unique way. And I'm not sure uh, when I sit there and think about other engineers that I really respect, how it would fit into the chemistry of, I guess what I'm looking for. So I'm just kind of, I guess I'm just stuck with myself, but uh, in a good way. And, with the Pondessle Sands, man, when I think about all the Hate Eternal records, I this is our seventh studio album now, and I just feel like this is by far my favorite production that I've gotten with a Hate Eternal album. And I guess it just pretty much inspires me to say, well, you know, look forward to album number eight. You know, so I, I don't see me ever. I don't know if I'll ever get someone else to ever. I, I know I'd never have someone else produce, but. I probably never have anybody else mixed either, but I do like to get Alan Douches from West West side music to put the icing on the cake with the mastering because he, he's, he's been a mentor to me in many ways and, and you know, great friend and one, one of the best mastering engineers in the world. And I trust him with everything I do. And that's why I like to have him master all my records. So I do get his input in there and get his icing on the cake to finalize the album.
1: In a lot of ways, like it's a, the personality wise and, and, you know, cutting out a middleman and kind of doing things yourself because you know what you're going for, that's, that's a lot of ways, in a way of life and stuff like that. I do remember a while back that there was a video I saw, I think, in 2003, I remember Hate Eternal was not a, a bad, like, van accident, correct? And so, at that point, I think yeah. in the video, you said something of, like, I'm going to be the only one driving at night because you don't have to rely on other people. <laughs> Is that, like, a, a personality thing to be like, all right, when it goes wrong, I'm not gonna. It's my fault for trusting someone else when I can handle it myself. Just out of curiosity.
4: No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Okay. Uh, what I can say is going back to the accident. i I still to this day. I drive every night. I drive in the snow. I drive in the cities. I drive in the bad weather. So I pretty much drive like a lot. Um, so um, ever since the accident, and I, I, and it certainly I didn't. I did not put the blame on anyone else. I was not driving during that accident, Flint it was not a matter of blame as a matter as like, you know, if I feel like at the end of the day, if, if things are in my hands, whether it's doing a record or, or other things, you know, the only person I can blame is myself. If I'm not happy with it, not, you know, that that's one. And two, I guess it's not that I'm even a control freak or anything, but I'm very specific about everything I do in my life. And, I have a lot, I put a lot of attention to detail and I do think a certain way. And for me, I love collaboration. I mean, like, you know, JJ and I, I mean, we've been playing together now for over 10 years and, uh, in furnace and uh Sands, I mean, you know, we co-wrote half the record together and, and, you know, something about collaboration is really special as well. So it's not like I've, I don't have the mentality of I want to do everything myself per se. Um, But there's some things that I just feel like I need to do myself. And I guess I kind of have a alpha mentality, whether I like it or not. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm just one of those guys that likes to lead. uh, And um, I have no problem doing it. You know, I have no problem with having an open line of communication or laying the cards on the table or hearing criticism and constructive criticism things like that like I I don't have an issue with any of that so it, it just comes natural to me these things to kind of lead um so I do it and at the end of the day like with a pondero sta oh man this was a really challenging album there's there's so much so much involved in it and when I'm recording hate eternal records or any records for that matter uh in in mono recording, I'm always really focused on trying to capture authentic performances and preserve the performances to the best of my ability. And and that's something that I, I feel tends to get lost today in modern production is uh, with everything kind of being uh, perfected and quantized drums here and, and stuff. And, you know, um, cut and paste kind of mentality of, of a lot of metal records these days. I, I you know, I go against that trend in so many ways is because I really want to preserve to the best of my ability, kind of the authenticity of people's performances. And, you know, I really like to push everybody as hard as I can. And I push myself really hard to capture the best I can. So when I listen to Pondesville Sands, I really, you can kind of feel, I I believe, and hear the vibe and character of the band and the individuals involved and creating the music. And there's something special about that. And that's why, why do I always go back and listen to some of the early, you know, Slayer records or Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, you name it. Um, And there's just something special about a lot of those earlier records. And, and I guess I'm trying to bridge the gap of like the old school vibe with a more, kind of modern clarity and that's something I, I really pride myself on on how I do things here in the studio is to capture the sound of the band and and the individuals involved.
1: And that's a very good great point that you made because when you do listen to your production and that's is why for me you're my favorite producer when it comes to any of that death metal side or even the hardcore stuff you do is that you you do allow it to have like i go back and listen to a suffocation record and then i listen to a modern death metal band and i'm like what's the primary difference is this this other one sounds perfect and this one sounds like there's guys playing together even though i know that's not exactly how things are recorded but that essence is so important i think to to every metal or hard genres because that's what gives it to its uh I don't want to say originality, but that's what gives it its personality. Is that is that fair to say?
4: Yeah, I, I think, I, and and you know, there's no right or wrong way to do records. I don't feel like my way is the only way, and there's a million ways to do records. And a lot of other modern productions really fit the music that it's capturing. I believe so. Every kind of music, really independent choice on how people want their music to per- be perceived and. You know, for me, something that's just so important to me, and it kind of, I guess I kind of buck the trend a little bit the way I do things. It's just that I still believe in the artist. I believe in the musician, and I believe in really trying to get the best out of people. And, you know, I'm a guy that, I I mean, I've been been playing death metal for 30-plus years at this point. You know, I've been doing records for almost 30 years as a musician. And, you know, when I look back on the records, that I've done as, an, as a musician, you know, one thing I can pride myself on is knowing that I gave everything I had. I left everything on the table in everything I ever did. And, you know, and as a producer, I feel the same way as well. And where some records, you know, you might say, oh man, I like the way that sounds better than this one. Or like, the thing is, is that I really try to do is is capture the band at that moment in time. And, um, and to me, every record, I really try to do my best to have it independently sound unique because, you know, Hate Eternal Hate Eternal doesn't sound like Cannibal Corpse, and Cannibal Corpse doesn't sound like Madball, or Madball doesn't sound like Ignatius Fun, and Ignatius Fun doesn't sound like Zalfagor and Godor and Soul and Green, they're all very different bands, so I really try to do my best to capture the sound that they are expelling and preserving it, basically, you know, for eternity, and that's something that I think it's important is that I want to be able to look back on these records and 20, 30 years from now know that I did things with the highest integrity and also with um, really the emphasis on the player and the uniqueness of the individual and the collective that, that creates each band that I get to work with. Um, and it's definitely a, I guess a harder way to do things, especially since I do so many challenging albums. Um, but I just feel like at the end of the day, you know, the musicians evolved. Ultimately, are going to feel better about what they put on tape or or pro tools or however, whatever medium we record to. Uh, at the end of the day, they're going to look back and say, "Man, I gave it all I had and, and I captured it." And I, and I feel like uh, with the Pondesville fans, man, I I really the one thing that we wanted to put a lot of emphasis on for this record was the guitars, and it's a very uh guitar there's so much guitar work on this new record and what we all discussed this before we recorded records i really wanted to capture something special with the guitars and i just decided i was gonna open it up i was gonna try new picks uh pedals different guitars whatever it took to capture the best tones i could get i ended up changing my pick after like 20 something years just because i felt like i was getting Better clarity and chunk out of that pick, and I ended up tracking with my 91 Gibson Explorer for rhythms and my 91 original Ibanez Universe for rhythms as well for different tunings. And then my my all, I went all Marshall this time uh, with my 800 ACM 800, which is my baby, and then used the JMT. I used my Ironbirds for solos. I put a lot of emphasis on just pushing myself to get the best I could out of myself and with Hannes and J.J. as well. You know, we, we put in a lot of effort into pre-production and practicing the songs and demoing them out and, and really trying to create an album of some really great material. And when it came to recording, starting with Hannes and, you know, of course, drums are the foundation of everything. You know, I really, Hannes is such an amazingly talented drummer and having him in here, I just really pushed him to, to capture it depth because guys like that, and I'm so fortunate that I get to work with guys like Connett and JJ and all the amazing bands and musicians that I've been able to work with in my career, that I can push them and push them and they just keep coming back with better and better results. And 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 that's something that kind of dynamic and chemistry that we have in the studio is, is what really makes special albums, in my
1: opinion. I love that because what you said, even as... I listen to Hate Eternal's catalog or any of the records you've produced by bands, multiple bands, like, say, Be Cannibal Corpse or Goat Whore. They do sound completely different, and there's a growth to all of them from like Kill to Red Before Black or A Haunting Curse to like Blood for the Master. It's a completely oh. different style and sound. And that's what makes it so interesting because it is, to me, it sounds like a starting over point, even though it's the same people behind the work. And it, it, it comes out in a different way. Hate Eternal is great with that. That's something like In Furnace was, to me, was completely different, you know, than, than anything I heard in a long time. Upon Desolate Sands, same thing. Let me ask you this. This is just a hypothetical question for you. Like, If you were like hired to Tool. produce the, record, the new record by Tool, what would you try to capture and how heavy would you try to make it?
4: Well, Tool, even though I, I must admit I'm not... Um I don't own any Tool records, oh, okay. but uh, the one thing I do think is that you know their productions are, are awesome. I mean, I, I i i'm not too familiar with their music, but I've heard enough to know that the way they record their albums is phenomenal. Um, so, you know, with a band like Tool, well, well, first off, before I even answer that question, kind of going back to what you said about Cannibal and Goat Horror and the uniqueness for sure of of like hate eternal and stuff and all kind of i've done four albums with cannibal corpse and i've done four albums with goat horror and you can imme- and I've, well, I've done seven with hate eternal and i mean just those three bands alone have given me so much experience to be able to be confident enough to say hey okay this next record, let's do something different. And, and like when you listen to the goat, uh, the Goathore records, or the or the Cannibal course albums, or the Eternal, all the ones that we've done together, they all sound different and unique. And that's something because you're right. Like what you were saying is, we kind of reset every record and say, okay, what are the points of emphasis on this album? What do we really want to shine this time? What kind of vibe or character are we going for? Do we want it a little rougher around the edges? Do we want it? a little bit more modern-esque or or what, what are we really focused on and working with Cannibal Corpse and Goat Whore. I mean, those two bands alone and hate eternal. I mean, when I think about that 15 albums right there, uh, and man, I, those have been incredible experiences for me, um, that are invaluable that have allowed me to become more confident as a producer and engineer and mixer. And I'm always open-minded to things now. And that took me time where if somebody comes in with like some random amp and they're like, Hey, I've got this 87, whatever. I've never even heard of it. I mean, my first thought was like, awesome. Let's mic it up. You know, like I'm, I, I really like to try new things and, and, um, kind of experiment with different approaches. Even if I have a system in place, I still like to try different ideas and, and approach things in a unique way for every album. And that has helped me when I've been able to work with a variety of different bands, say, like the Mountain Goats or Agnostic Front, you know, or Madball, which are, you know, very different bands than a lot of the stuff that I get to work with. And I feel like that would, in that sense, working with the variety of bands would help me if I was to, say, record Tool. Well, the first thing I would do is immerse myself in their music listen to their albums and try to figure out what I could bring to the table to create a unique approach. And, and, um, for example, when I first did Cannibal Corpse Kill, which obviously was really, if somebody asked me, well, what is the turning point in your producing career? It, it's a really easy answer. And is completely Cannibal Corpse Kill. I mean, that, that was, those guys gave me such a huge opportunity, um, to kind of show what I could do. And for that record, I really thought long and hard. I, you know, I got involved with those guys probably six months in advance, going to practice, uh, helping them with pre-production, listening to the songs and kind of thinking, okay, you know, I'm following a, a, a bunch of legendary producers, you know, Neil Kernan, Alan Richardson, you know, Jim Morris, and of course, Scott Burns. So what can I bring to the table? to add a different flavor and character to this album Uh, and the one thing that i really focused on was the performance aspect of it and trying to capture their unique tones and bring that to fruition and that's why kill i think when i listen back to it i mean it's 12 13 years now it has a very unique sound and that's because we really went for like this kind of more raw approach i mean most of the drums if I remember correctly, if not every song on Kill was one-take drums. Like, I don't even think we punched drums on that record. I think we kind of went for that completely raw, in-your-face, totally barbaric sound, and that's because the music on Kill was just so vicious, man, and aggressive, and I just felt like if we could capture, somehow try to capture the, the monstrous sound that Cannibal Corpse has, holy shit. I'm just such an amazing band with such a Huge sound, and that's what we did with film. It was very razor edge, but heavy as hell, and very raw and and organic and authentic. And you know, I keep using that word, and but that's what makes that album so special. And and that album did did so much for me, and and built so much confidence. And and those guys gave me such a huge opportunity that you know, 13 years later, I don't know how many albums I've done at this point, 80, 90. 100, I'm not even sure, but, um, it's moments like that, those kind of records that really gave me the insight and, and, and allow me to work on different styles of music by experimenting with new things and building the confidence to feel confident in that. And, and being a guy like myself that I listen to a lot of different music, I grew up with a lot of different music. So I feel very versed in the ability to handle unique musical scenarios because
1: of that it shows though because that i remember kill being a a point in cannibal corpse's career where it it almost was a big resurgence to to me at least as a fan because for me my go-to record for a lot of years was vile and then kill took over and now evisceration plague is probably my favorite record by cannibal corpse which i don't think that's a popular opinion i don't know if it is but that record's flawless to me but that's what i'm saying there was like this from Kill, what happened and what you guys have done together, there was a big resurgence. I feel that with a lot of the records that you do, if you come in, like if we talk about Kingdom's Disdain, which came out last year, Morbid Angel, that you produced as well, there was just to me, like a it's a new starting point for that band again, you know, and the future looks extremely bright. Is that, if that fair to say?
4: Well, first I would say is that,
1: you know, it ultimately...
4: I, yeah, I always kind of feel like, like with Kill specifically, like that album, it really just blew up, man. I Like, I, it was amazing the response that Kill got back in those days. And the, um, I feel like it all started with those guys. You know, I, I'm just like a small piece of that puzzle that helped kind of put it together in my opinion. You know, I mean, I, I worked my ass off, of course, but those guys write or, wrote a ridiculous amazing record for Kill. And it was, it just sounded so inspired and they tried some new elements, you know, like Death Walking Terror, you know, at that time it had a very kind of unique vibe to it. And then went on to write songs like Evisceration Plague or Scourge of Iron, things like that, that had kind of a different, more heavier, sludgier kind of vibe. Um, and, but Kill also had these really aggressive songs and, and technical songs. And, and I, I, I kind of i credit Kill to being kind of I guess like you said like a resurgence for this because they just really wrote such an amazing album and and I was so fortunate enough that I was able to be a part of it and try to capture that unbridled like viciousness that they created and you know so for me I I definitely feel like all the credit always goes to the band just like Morbid Angel and everything else I you know I just feel like that you know I'm a piece of the puzzle but. You know, ultimately, I'm just trying to bring out what these guys really, you know, slave over to create and really fortunate and grateful that I can I can work with such great bands like, you know, Countable Corpse and Morbid Angel. And, you know, I've been able to work with so many amazing bands of different genres, you know, Black Bass, Goat Horn, you know, Gulf Gore. Not, not the Gore. front Madball Records and Mountain Goats. I mean, those, those are all such amazing experiences. That like pops in my mind. Toilet Green, you know, and of course, Hate Eternal. Um, when I think of a lot of the bands, it just first come to my mind of like just incredible experiences that have helped shape who I am as a producer, and, um, and those records are just they're price books for me.
1: When you're producing, like you said, last year you produced Red Before Black by Cannibal Corpse, Kingdoms of stage which we just talked about with Morwood Angel, and then you're going in to do a Hate Eternal record. Does all that production and working with those bands does that in any way influence Hate Eternals' output?
4: I would say not in a not in a
1: musical sense, I guess,
4: because you know I don't like when I'm producing records, I'm kind of completely submerged in that album, and so a lot of times, like at the end of the year, people will ask me like, "Hey, do you have a top ten list?" And I'm like, "Well, what records did I work on that year?" Because like when I do Accountable Course record or Morbid Angel. I just completely submerge myself into that album and I just live and breathe everything about that thing. My whole life is kind of um, revolved around it. So, but when it comes in the studio, absolutely, you know, it's like, because we'll try new techniques and I'll be like, wow, that worked out really cool. I would have never thought that would be. Um, so definitely when it comes to the producing end of things and recording the studio, every album I do, I learned so much from, and when I get to work with different bands as well, like tombs, for instance, you know, I've done two albums with them and they're a very unique band with a lot of characteristics or black bath or any of the bands I mentioned. Like I learned something different from all those bands. And, and when it comes to the engineering side of things completely and kind of put that in my, the back of my head of like, wow, that might be worked work great, or Wow. Maybe I should, you know, use that compressor on, on the bass this time, you know, because it sounded great on the tunes album or something like that. And so I do, I'm one of those guys that definitely, I make a mistake, I learn from my mistakes and I, I move forward. And my whole life has been, you know, riddled with many, maybe mistakes that I've learned from. And then, uh, you know, I'm a stubborn kind of SOB, but I, I definitely learn from all the mistakes I made and I've learned from. Great decisions I make, and try to balance it out through that. And by working with all these different bands, there's no doubt about it that I'm able to use that to apply towards recording my own albums. Um, and as I've done more Hayden eternal albums, like Upon Desolate Sands, was definitely a really challenging album uh, musically speaking. But when you're working with guys like you know JJ and Honest, I mean, um, and I have my right hand man Art Pice. You know, he's been working with me at the studio a couple of years, and uh, he helps balance out things a little bit for me with the Hate Eternal because I have so many hats in Hate Eternal. So just like Alan helps with the mastering, it, 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 it just helps a lot. But when you're working with such amazing musicians like I do, I just consistently get to work with such fantastic musicians. It just helps everything, you know, go. And it's not always smooth. You know, sometimes it's rough. Sometimes there's moments all you know if my if the if i'm sitting in the studio right now if the it's a walls could talk in here oh my gosh but it's been these walls have seen some serious stuff in here and and it's it's all directly related to the passion of just wanting to make the best records that we possibly can that are going to last an eternity and and so i i think about that every album i do and that's why at the end of the day it took me i'm 47 now it took me years and years and decades to actually get to the point where I would not be so critical of myself and everything I do. And and it took me, it took me years to a point where I just, you know, I had to even question myself, you know, if when I I put 110% into everything, every record I do, and I do the best I can with everything I do. And at, at the end of the day, that just has to be good enough because I, I give everything I have But for years and decades, I was always like my worst critic. Uh, I mean, I was just, one thing would trigger me off to be miserable or or negative. And that's something that, as a musician and as a producer, that I've been able to work through knowing that I give everything I have into everything I do. And I'm not perfect. I'm I'm a human. I do everything I can. Um, And that's really kind of helped me balance how I do things usually when I produce records after I'm done working it, mixing it, listen to the mastering. And then I put it away, man. You know, I don't listen to it for a long, long time because I'm too close to it. And luckily for me with Haiti Eternal with a pond, death of the sands. Well, we're getting ready to go on tour with countable corpse, you know, in two weeks and
0: I'm doing a lot of
4: press and I've listened to the songs because I've been practicing and stuff like that. And it's such a great feeling to be able to listen to the Haiti Eternal songs and listen to the production and just kind of feel not only confident, but so satisfied with the results, even though I'm only a few months removed from finishing it. That's something that I feel like is really a, a a pinnacle. It's one of those moments in my career when I, when I can listen to a Hate eternal album and just feel like it's the best production, not only of Hate eternal, but one of my favorite productions that I've actually been able to accomplish as a, as a producer. And and it's a, it's a very rewarding feeling considering I've been doing this for a long time and I'm the I'm, I'm, I'm a perfectionist at heart always challenging myself to create better and do better and I, I feel I, I'm very happy with how Upon with Dance came out and everyone involved in it as
1: well. What song on this record do you feel you challenged yourself and you might have overstepped your challenge and then you came back and you were like I nailed oh. it. Which Which song was probably the hardest for you to perfect in your mind hmm. that's that's interesting i gotta say like with with a with pond every record i do with hate
4: eternal man i you know i just it's like a special moment in my life and and it, it really it brings me back to when i was you know 15 years old uh you know learning to play guitar and trying to play Slayer riffs and metallica and whatnot and you know man i just wanted to create the heaviest Music that I possibly could, and and you know, every record I do with H. Hey, brings me back, and, and and every record I do, it just becomes so much more, even that much more important. And people always question, like, man, you, you you're always so inspired. You know what inspires you? And I always tell them if if people knew the challenges and the adversity that I had overcome as a child and the things that I endured and experienced to get to this point, they would understand. And for me, music was everything to me. It, you know, I, it I just completely absolved myself into playing guitar 30 plus years ago because I felt like that was the way to to kind of save myself and, and put my focus into something that could create something special for me. Um, and so I'm always going to challenge myself to to do something and if i had to pick one song on on the new hate eternal that was a challenge man the most challenging it would probably be all hope destroyed and 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 that's because it's just such a unique song for hate eternal i feel like It, it it's a really complex layered kind of ethical song and the funny thing is you know When I write these songs and I write the lyrics, I never write the lyrics as a guitar player singer. I just write them as a singer. And so for every album since we started, I have to go back and learn how to play guitar and sing this stuff. So, you know, there's always like one song per record where it just takes me like months to actually sing and play this thing properly. And sure enough, All Hope Destroyed is that song. And I purposely kept the vocals on "All Hope story and the patterns kind of more straightforward and simplistic because I wanted the music to breathe. And there's like the epic solo at the end, and there's all these layers of guitar work in there. So I wanted the, vocal, the lyrics and the vocals to be kind of more straightforward. And here I am, you know, two weeks away, and I, I, every day, I'm I, for months I've been working on. Singing and playing this song, and it, it's such a challenge to sing. This is like the, this is my one song on the new record that has pushed me to the limit. Um, and I I didn't know, like, musically speaking, it's a pretty complex song, uh, but I didn't realize how challenging it would be to sing and play it until, of course, I started working on it. And you know, I'm, I'm at about 95% right now, so that's good. But there's like this one riff in there that just is, is just challenging me to the point where like, you know, um, I'm practicing and, and, you know, I'm not sure, I'm not, I'm not sure if I can, uh, w- what kind of words I can use on this podcast, but I can tell you there's been some pretty nasty words coming out of my mouth on a regular basis. And they,
1: <laughs> you can curse, yeah, you know. feel free. And man. a lot of
4: them, start, <laughs> a lot of them start with F and end with K. So you know, I've been saying that religiously for the last three months. Like, dude, fuck. You know, like I what the fuck was I thinking when I wrote this one? You know, I guess uh, so. But it's such a great song, and it's one of my favorite songs on the album. And those are the moments that really inspire me even more. Of just like, man, I love my my life has been challenging. And then at the same time, everything I do is challenging. Uh, My life has been complex, and everything I do is complex. It's just kind of like the personality of who I am. I'm a complex person. So um, the fact that I can continuously challenge myself and challenge everybody around me, I think that's what kind of makes things exciting in my career and my life and what keeps me constantly motivated um, and inspired to always improve upon everything I'm doing and a lot of it has to do with the fact that i'm 47 years old and i think about man as i get older i just become so much more humble and grateful for for all the opportunities that i've i've been afforded and all the people that have helped me to get where i'm at and all the oh, man all, everything i've been able to it took me to it took me to my mid 40s to actually be able to not rest on my laurels or pat myself on the back or anything like that, but to actually just value and appreciate how far I've come in my life and my career. And, and also look at everything, uh, the body of work that I've been able to achieve, um, through so much adversity. Uh, and if somebody told me 30 years ago that I, you know, uh, I guess that I would have been able to do everything I'd done. I, I was, I was so motivated and um, focused and I'm stubborn as hell. There was no way I was not going to achieve some form of success. And and for me, success was writing my own music, having my own band, touring the world and having a studio. And, you know, here I am 30 plus years later. And and that's exactly what I've been doing for decades now. And then, man, I can't help but get older and just, appreciate it more and become more and more humble. Um, and, uh, I it, like the longer I do it, it, it's easier for me to handle criticism and negativity because shit, I've had negativity my whole life. So that doesn't even phase me. I think it's, it's almost more harder for me to receive praise and compliments, And then, and, and I, because I've been doing it so long, you know, I meet so many great people on tour. I've been following my career for decades now I'm meeting their their sons or daughters that were following my career and, and you know, generations of people because I've been doing this long along. It's just so, um, it's so humbling, man. It, it's a constant reminder of, like, you know, I may have not done everything right in my life, but I've done something right because I'm doing everything I love to do and fulfilling my passion uh, with two careers that are so, so difficult to maneuver and, be successful at, and I never take that for granted ever.
1: And hard to maintain, yeah. And you've you've done that too. It's hard. It's it's always difficult, I think, to to maintain the two career choices that you had, and with the growth, and it's it's just crazy. Because I love hearing it when people are like, in a lot of ways, you're just like, I found peace, man. I found peace through death metal music, and that's like a what all of us listen to music for, in my mind, is like it to relate to find peace. And to find it in, in, in that environment, it's just, it's just, like I said, a very positive story to me, like as someone that's been, uh, it is,
4: yeah. I think people on the out, on the people on the outside, you know, they, they might not understand it. And then I tell them like, and a lot of people will meet me and say, man, you seem so happy. And, and I think, yeah, it's because I've been able to therapeutically create music that is just some of the most miserable kind of I mean it's not like you listen to anything I do and say oh wow that's really happy you know like it's no it's it's angry it's pissed it's it's sometimes it's melancholic or or has a loathing or sometimes it's you know it's all kinds of emotion in in the music and that has allowed me to become a healthier more positive person in my life and you know by it it's a challenge it's constantly a challenge to it's hard enough to just be in a band and be a musician and try to succeed, but own a studio and be a producer and do music. It, it's a constant challenge. And of course, you know, uh, ha, you know, have a family life, have friends and stuff like that. I mean, just to balance it all is always one of the hardest things in my life for, for decades now is trying to balance everything. And sometimes I have a good balance. Sometimes I have a terrible balance and I, I work too much overworked. Um, and I'm such an ambitious person, even after all these years, man. I mean, I, I just, I'm such an ambitious, uh, individual because man, it always leads back to, I just don't take this stuff for granted. I know how fleeting, not only this career can be in music, but life in general. And a lot of that has come from, you know, much loss in my life. I've lost, I've lost some really special people in my life and some tragically in those moments really affected me and kind of pushed me to even you know succeed more and, and live life to the fullest because you just never know when, when, when your time is up. And I don't want to be a guy that regrets not uh, putting everything I had into what I do. And, and I certainly haven't. And I think my, my body of work reflects um, that just with, Everything I've been able to accomplish and and do, and I'm you know I still have so much more to do. I it's hard for me to imagine. Like people ask, man, how much, how long do you think you'll still you know do a Eternal or, or something? And, and I think to myself, man, I it's hard for me to imagine not sitting on my couch at like one thirty in the morning and just cranking out riffs. You know, it, it, it's like I just of all the things I do in my career or careers, I guess plural. It's like writing music and writing riffs and then jamming with JJ on these songs and then doing pre-pro and then recording the albums and finishing them and, and then getting that final vinyl or CD or whatever on my, right in my doorstep and looking at it and then putting it on the wall in the studio, which my walls are, I'm going to have to start, uh, moving some things around it's getting packed in there. But it's, it's this constant, um, inspiration that just makes me think, geez, I mean, I'll probably like, I'll probably be that guy. I just, I can't imagine uh, not doing what I do. I, I, you know, I just love doing this so much, you know, and, and I, I feel like whatever I'm doing that keeps me inspired like it does, I just, man, I, why change it? Just keep rolling with it. I guess today, if I ever felt like I wasn't inspired or wasn't coming up with something that was, um, worthy of what I've done in the past, then I would probably, I probably wouldn't do it, but honestly, I just can't see that ever happening, man. I just, I'm very, I feel very creative and I'm always willing to kind of try new things and push myself to, to capture new elements of my playing and the depths of, of who I am and the depths of, of the individuals involved and try to capture something special. And I definitely feel like for the Pondesville fans, man, the the record from beginning to end it, I, I, man, I'm, I'm so proud of, of what we accomplished, Hannes, JJ, and I, on this record.
1: Nice, man, and I, I completely relate to that mentality. Just so you know, my dad always told me life is movement. He never understood retirement, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, people want to take a break, but he's like, life is movement. You stop moving. It, it, you're gonna eventually die soon, so it's like I have this mentality of never stopping doing new things, like that same attitude, you know. But again, I can't speak sixty-year-old me, but I'm assuming. I hope I have that same fire, man. And it's just a personality thing, you know. I, yes. I think, you know, that's what I think. But again, you know, nothing's right or wrong with it. That's for sure. I agree, and obviously you're. Your dad's a wise man. Yeah, I'll, every I've seen a lot yeah. of people retire <laughs> at like sixty six, and it's like they passed away at sixty nine. I'm like, what? <laughs> like it's and it's I. It, you I know, agree. It's like, dude, because you stop moving, man. This is this is it's just part of the it's part of the game. Keep going, figure something out, do something new, and the devil in the details, like something that takes the long way. Doesn't matter how long it takes, like you were saying. It doesn't matter how long it takes because you're accomplishing something every single day, and that's the key. You know, that's it's true. That's the key, man. So the last question, and I want to just go off on football real quick, dude, because I know you're an Eagles fan. Oh man, I'm a Browns fan, so I'm just gonna say this right now again on on the podcast. Oh, I think when I talked to Corpse Grinder, I talked to him last year, and the Browns were horrible. But this year, (laughs) and he's a Ravens guy, so that hurt me a little bit. But uh, this year, Baker Mayfield. <laughs> e- yeah. yeah, that hurts. That hurts. That hurts. A- Being a Browns fan, that hurts a little bit. I, I know the backstory, of yeah.
4: course, because I'm a football enthusiast. So I, I can I can understand that pain. Now.
1: I didn't see it coming. He's like, yeah, but Ravens guy, I'm like, ooh, come on, dude. Like, <laughs> That's my team. Anyways, your, your, your Super Bowls are Brown Super Bowls. Uh, but scratch that. We're talking about your Eagles this time. So last year when your Eagles went to – the Super Bowl, against the mighty Tom Brady. Nick Foles was your quarterback. What was your thoughts during that time frame and then your thoughts at the outcome?
4: Oh, my God. Oh, man. I mean, well, you know, I'm looking in the studio, and, I, you know, I, I see some Eagles stuff. I go to my house. My guest room is filled with Super Bowl champion Eagles, everything. I got the framed, I got the framed newspaper clip. Man, you name it, I got it. It, it, it was absolutely... I, I can't even, I, I you know, being an Eagles fan, I've been an Eagles fan for almost, ever since I started watching football, so almost 40 years. So I remember the first Super Bowl loss in 81, I think it was, 80. I remember the second Super Bowl loss in New England. Devastating, you know. I, I shed a tear when we lost in 2004. I shed a tear in 1981. And let me tell you, Boy, I was shedding some tears last year, man. February fourth, man. Holy, cow. I, I just, I remember JJ is the Eagles fan as well, and um I mean, he was up in, you know, he he lives up in, in Pennsylvania. I live in Florida. I was on the phone with him till probably two in the morning, just dreaming at the top of my lungs, having way too many ninety-minute IPAs. Uh, I mean, I I had, I think I had a couple one twenties as well. So I was, I was completely like out of my gorge uh with a little bit too much alcohol that evening but i just lived i lived it man i gotta tell you and then not only that but i hopped on the plane flew up there and jj and i went to the eagles parade which was because i always said i always said to jj i said listen man if we go back to the super bowl um i I, you know if we win the super bowl i'm coming up there for the, the goddamn parade i don't give a shit how cold it is i don't care if it's Twenty-four hours of of sitting in freezing cold, which it was, I, and and sure enough, as soon as we won the next day, I hopped on the plane, um, and came up there. And you know what's funny is, I always felt like for some reason, man, third time would be the charm. If we get back to the Super Bowl again, third time should be the charm. Not that I knew we'd win, but somehow deep in my heart, I just felt like the third time's the charm. And for me, um. Also, I always said, especially now that I'm being 47 and being able to achieve and and realize so much of my dreams come true over the last many decades, the one thing I felt like was, man, if I can just win one Super Bowl with the Eagles in my lifetime, I'm going to lose my fucking shit. And let me tell you, I'm still losing my shit. It's already a whole new season. I'm still... I'm still reminiscing, um, so you know, until the season's over. I mean, technically, the Eagles still are Super Bowl champions, so you know, I, I can I can uh, relish and embellish and all the whatever it takes to, to enjoy it. And it was it was definitely like one of those moments that, um, man, I, jeez, it, it was it was it was such an amazing moment because football has always been one of those things for me. Different than music, but it's always been like a cathartic release for me, football, because it, my, I have one of those overactive brains that never stops, man. That's why I don't sleep much. I lay in bed, my brain's thinking it. I'm an overthinker. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes an overanalyzer as well. But football, for some reason, like it's it just takes my brain away from everything else. And I just focus on football almost like, like when I'm producing an album, it's just like my brain is on football only. Um, So football has always been something that I just loved. And I've always loved the Eagles and for them to win the Super Bowl, man, I got to tell you, wow, we got one and I don't take it for granted. Would I like another one? Of course. But, (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I I'm not taking for granted that we actually won one in my lifetime, man. I tell you, what a great feeling!
1: And that story, dude, that and, game. And hey, I hope. Are you gonna say something about the I Browns? I hope for boy? you,
4: man, in yeah. the Browns. <laughs> I'm listening. I'm listening. I got. I got. Mr. Baker Mayfield, man. I, I I think like he's got he's got some chops, man. I think he, he showed something. And I got to be honest with you, when I see the Browns play, and I've watched the Browns play, I watch them win their first game this season, and I, I was so happy for you guys, because man, to see the struggle that you guys have gone through, and I, I, I don't know if you watch A Football Life or any of, the, of those shows on the NFL Network, but I remember watching I think it was 96 Cleveland Browns when they moved to Baltimore, and and, and you know, Belichick was there. You know, I think, man, I want to say it Nick Saban and Jim Schwartz was there as an assistant, my defense coordinator, and I watched that documentary and I just thought, Jesus, that is—it was so man. I, I just devastating yeah. if I was a Browns fan. is brutal,
1: brutal, so, man.
4: I wish you, I wish you guys nothing but the best, man, with the Browns, man. I, I, I'm happy to see you guys win. It was, it was uh, you know, I, I can only imagine. And I believe me, the Eagles. I've watched some really, really bad seasons. So, uh, of course, if anything. There's always hope, man. There's always hope. So I, I wish you. I wish you. Hopefully, not at the expense of my Eagles. No <laughs> offense, but I, I wish the Browns success in the future.
1: <laughs> None taken. Stay loyal. You're right, man. But I appreciate it. And I, I got a feeling that we will have one of those moments that the Eagles had, like like last year. I'm not saying next year but i'm, I'm thinking i just finally see it going in the right direction man so that's all that's and that's all the hope i need because we didn't ha- even have that much for a while you know so um but right we, yeah. and as an eagles fan like
4: i'm i'm a total like jj and i will joke about it like as an eagles fan like hope is the killer of life you know like god forbid you have hope you know and, and like so. I like I think a lot of Eagles fans for so many years are kind of sardonic and you know like uh, you know like never optimistic because as soon as you get optimistic or something then the end of the world happens you know so like for us to actually win the Super Bowl last year it, it completely gave me hope in everything I was like, oh my god there is hope man There's, I was wrong all these years um, watching the Eagles through the good years, the bad years. I, You know, I'm not a fair weather fan, man. I'm an Eagles fan and anyone that knows me knows that. So, you know, I've, I've been there through the tough times and to see them win it, just, it was with a backup quarterback even mind yeah. you. Holy crap. Um, you know, it gives hope. And so the Browns, they have hope, man. I'm telling you. They got something going on up there. I can feel it, man. So I wish you nothing but the best, man. Sweetness,
1: man. So I got to tell everybody one more time. So Upon Desolate Sands, guys, it is out now. Make sure make sure you pick it up. It is phenomenal. It just knocks it out of the park. Make sure when you guys come see Hate Eternal and Cannibal Corpse, their, their tour starts November 2nd. Check dates. Make sure when you see them, you walk up to Eric and say, hey, man, you nailed all hope destroyed and give him a fist bump because he's been working on that. He just said it right here forever, <laughs> and he's going to nail it live. So make sure you guys give him some credit for that performance. Good luck with your Eagles. Thank you for your kind words for my Browns, sir, and uh, thank you so much for calling into the Metal Sucks podcast.
4: Oh, man, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, and thanks for the in-depth questions. I, I really appreciate it, and, of course, for the compliments and and just for having a uh, a good shoot-the-shit kind of conversation. I appreciate it.
2: Doesn't matter if it's punk, metal, or rock, Rockabilia is your one stop shop for all band merch. They have over 500,000 items to choose from. Hard to find stuff that you can't get anywhere else with the largest selection of music merchandise available in the world. Doesn't matter if it's hats, shirts, autograph items, patches for your battle vest, Rockabilia will have you covered. And everything is officially licensed. Don't fall for the Chinese counterfeit band merch on Amazon or the targeted Facebook post promoting a bootleg product. If you support Rockabilia, you're supporting. The artists been around since 1987 with 30 years of giving you the best memorabilia. And for special discounts, use the promo code PC Jabberjaw. So for your punk, metal, and rock memorabilia, there's only one place to go: www.rockabilia.com. All right, guys, we are back. First song you heard is off the new record
1: by Hate Eternal. Upon desolate sands, that is all hope destroyed. Make sure you guys. Pick up that record, ASAP. I'm telling you, phenomenal. You're going to love it. Next song you heard is by Bloodbath, Chainsaw Lullaby. Their new album, The Arrow of Satan is Drawn, also out now. Both came out October 26th. Like, oh, man. That is a death metal fan's dream, dude. Fantastic records. Make sure you pick that out as well. And with that, guys, I just want to take a second here and just give a shout-out to all the families um, that shooting at the synagogue that happened today, guys. Awful. Again, we... All I'm going to say is I don't ever want to use this platform for something to, you know, uh, express my uh, Plus any kind your of own views personal rhetoric, or anything yeah. like that, guys. But if anything you guys do on November 6th, when we're all going out there to vote, just remember, vote for fucking humanity. Think about humans. Think about the importance of those people and do that. Whatever your heart says, that's all I'm going to say. But our hearts go out to everybody that experienced that horrific shooting And we are with you guys, and that is not our fucking country, and that is not something that anybody should even allow in this fucking country. The Metal Sucks Podcast is signing off. This is the
0: Jabberjaw Podcast Network.